This is Issues in Perspective with Dr. Jim Ekman, President of Grace University. Issues in Perspective provides a weekly overview of news that pertains to your Christian life and is designed to help you discern and interpret issues that affect you in light of God's truth. Here is Dr. Jem Ekman to help you think biblically about these issues. Welcome and thank you for being with me today on our program, Issues in Perspective. In our first perspective on our program today, I want to think with you about the God particle. Basic to any understanding of physics is the concept of mass. Why do particles of nature have mass? This is obviously a fundamental question of physics, but one that is inscrutably difficult to answer. For decades now, physics has worked from what is known as the standard model of physics, an explanation that relies on 17 fundamental particles of matter and three physical forces. But this model requires the existence of a force that, so to speak, keeps everything together. That is the importance of what's nicknamed the God particle, the so-called Higgs boson, named after an Edinburgh University physicist of 50 years ago, Peter Higgs. Scientists now believe that they have confirmed the existence of the Higgs boson from experiments done at CERN, this huge, large Hadron Collider, they call it, a 17-mile round particle accelerator, again in Switzerland. Physicists have gotten essentially identical results from two experiments attached to this collider. Why is this so important? Well, among other things, the existence of the Higgs boson, if indeed it does exist, confirms the incredible structure, order, and predictability of the universe. Indeed, the magazine The Economist argues, quote, that one of the most extraordinary things about the universe is this predictability, that it, it is possible to write down equations which describe what is seen and extrapolate from them to the unseen. Newton was able to go from the behavior of bodies falling to Earth to the mechanism that holds the planets in orbit. James Clark Maxwell's equations on electromagnetism, developed in the mid-19th century, predicted the existence of radio waves. The atom bomb began with Einstein's famous equation, E equals mc squared, which was a result derived from asking how objects would behave when traveling near the speed of light. Because of the symmetry and order of the universe, some are calling the Higgs boson the God particle. The physical universe is indeed a wonder. Economist Michael Gerson writes, Not only does the universe unexpectedly correspond to mathematical theories, it is self-organizing, from biology to astrophysics, in unlikely ways. The physical constants of the universe seem finely tuned for the emergence of complexity and life. Slightly modify the strength of gravity, or the chemistry of carbon, or the ratio of the mass of protons and electrons, and biological systems become impossible. Close that quote. For this reason, I would argue that theism explains a universe finely tuned for life and accessible to human reason. It accounts for the cosmic coincidences, Gerson writes. In a theistic universe, unlike the alternatives, also makes a sense out of free will 
and moral responsibility. The potential of the Higgs boson discovery is that it confirms this order, this predictability of the universe, which should in turn lead us to a sense of awe and wonder. Of course, the typical scientist of the 21st century would disagree, but it does seem to me that the study of God's world should lead to a greater sense of wonder and of worship of Him. Therefore, permit me three comments about this connection between studying God's world and worship from God's written word, the Bible. First of all, Psalm 19, a majestic psalm of worship written by King David. As David looked into the heavens, he proclaimed, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The study of God's physical world reveals wonders that lead to worship. Often, however, modern science is numb to wonder. The study of physics need not stand in opposition to faith and theology. In fact, the two are inextricably linked in a matrix of worship and awe of God's creative power and grace. He made a universe that is just right for us, his image bearers. That is what David is confirming in Psalm 19. Secondly, consider Romans 1, 18 through 32, which details, written by the Apostle Paul, in a convicting manner what humanity has done with God's revelation of himself in his physical world. The Apostle Paul writes, Humanity has suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, since what is known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. He goes on, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal birds, man, animals, and reptiles. Close that extended quote from Romans 1. In short, the Apostle Paul is arguing there is a case for theism. Theism is the belief that God exists from creation, and that case is compelling, and that case is complete. God's physical world is evidence that he exists, but humanity has suppressed that obvious truth and sought other explanations. If the Higgs boson does indeed exist and is proven so, this is merely another piece of evidence for the order, design, and predictability of God's world, and therefore of his existence. Finally, I draw your attention to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, 
one of the most powerful paragraphs proving the deity of Jesus Christ in Scripture. Here, the Apostle Paul is writing to a small church seemingly overwhelmed by a heretical threat from false teachers who were teaching some form of incipient Gnosticism, namely, that Jesus was some form of an angel or another created being. Paul meets the challenge of this error by declaring that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. As Jesus declared in John chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, to see him is to see God. He that has seen me, he declares, has seen the Father. From Colossians 1, the term that Paul uses there, firstborn, is prototokos in Greek which has everything to do with Christ's position in God's created order, nothing to do with his origin. In other words, Paul is arguing that Jesus has a rank of authority and sovereignty over the physical world for three reasons. One, because he created everything, verse 16. Nothing exists that does not come from his created power and hand. Number two, he is before all things, the first part of verse 17. Well, how do we speak of Jesus in relation to time? You cannot use the past tense nor the future tense because Jesus is. As he states many times in the Gospel of John when speaking of himself, I am. In other words, Jesus is the self-existent, self-sufficient one of the universe. He is eternal. And then thirdly, in this passage, Paul says, and in him all things hold together, the end of verse 17. In other words, Jesus is the cosmic glue of the universe. He ultimately holds all the planets, galaxies, and stars of this universe together in majestic harmony and order. He also holds all the sub-particles of matter together, including the mysterious Higgs boson. In short, the study of modern physics is awesome and truly mind-boggling, but it should lead to worship, awe, and recognition of the majestic glory of God revealed in his physical universe. In one of his last books, God and the Astronomers, Robert Jastrow wrote in the last chapter of that book of a group of scientists kind of an allegory, climbing this enormous mountain, I assume a mountain of truth, and when they get to the very top, they reach the peak, and they peer over, and what did they see? A group of theologians. In other words, modern science and theology are seeking the same thing, truth, about the physical world. The Higgs boson, the God particle, is just another confirmation of the fact that science and theology are asking the same questions. Theology concludes that this is another proof for God's existence. Science doesn't always reach that conclusion, and therefore it often lacks a reason for the wonder, awe, and worship that should be our response to God's creative acts. And when that's the case, that, dear people, is profoundly sad.
In our second perspective on the program today, I want to think with you about the ongoing decline of marriage in America. Over this past year on Issues in Perspective, I have done several programs on the sociological phenomenon called emerging adulthood, the stage of human development from 18 to 30 years of age. One of the most significant aspects of this age group is the absence of a commitment to institutions, and one of those institutions is, of course, marriage. A recent analysis of census statistics by the Pew Research Center confirms this lack of commitment to the institution of marriage. What follows is a summary of this analysis, a couple of key statistics. One, just 51% of all adults who are 18 and older are married in the United States. That represents a steep drop from 57 in year 2000. Maryland is just below the national average at 50%, while Virginia is a bit higher at 54%, and in the District of Columbia, astonishingly, only one in four adults is married. Secondly, the median age when people first marry is increasing. Now, at an all-time high of older than 26 for women and almost 29 for men. This is in stark contrast to 1960 when most baby boomers were children and when 72% of all adults were married. Then the median age for women was barely 20 and for men 22. Third, an earlier Pew survey found that more than 4 in 10 Americans younger than 30 consider marriage passé. Apparently, this institution, so basic to society and civilization, is now perceived as obsolete. Number four, nearly two in three college graduates are married now, compared with less than half who have a high school education, confirming that the more education you have, the greater your propensity to marry. Finally, there is some evidence that the high divorce rate among baby boomers has had a significant negative impact on their children. Therefore, the generation born during a time of rising divorce rates, the 1970s and 80s, say that watching their parents split convinced them not to rush. What parents do can have a profound impact on the values, choices, and commitments of their children. That Pew summary analysis is confirming that. No matter how one views these statistics, it's difficult to see them as positive. I believe that God created the institution of marriage. In fact, it was the first one he created. We see that in Genesis 2. It is the bedrock institution for procreation, for training and equipping children, and for modeling and teaching the things of God. As this postmodern generation is reaching maturity, these emerging adults have seen how flippantly their parents have regarded marriage and are therefore avoiding it. Cohabitation is seen as a viable alternative to marriage, but with no commitment, no responsibility, and no covenant. In short, emerging adults are choosing to live out what they saw in their parents but with a greater degree of consistency. 
parents who treated the covenant of marriage in a superficial and shallow manner by ending it in a divorce are regarded as hypocrites by emerging adults. Emerging adults are thereby seeking to be more consistent, honest, and rational in their view, experimenting now with cohabitation before they marry. Cohabitation is an experimental stage, a first step to see if a lifelong commitment is possible. The result, apparently, is that some never marry, or if they do, marry much later in life. Therefore, we can now reach this profoundly shocking conclusion. Marriage is no longer a defining institution for this culture. Experimentation, cohabitation, and delayed marriage now define the new norm. In our third and final perspective on the program today, I want to think with you in a fresh way about America's new energy security. Some of this I found quite interesting, shocking, and actually profoundly positive, things I didn't realize. Oil consumption in America remains an important issue for our economy and for our national security, and that is obvious. Daniel Jurgen, who's chairman of IHS Cambridge Energy Research Associates, has recently shown in a new book that he published that U.S. oil consumption reached its peak demand in 2005 and has since declined. The nation has now become more efficient in its use of petroleum and has secured new energy sources. How did this startling set of developments occur? Jurgen summarizes in his book several remarkable developments. One, U.S. crude output, crude oil that is, has risen by 18% since 2008. Both deep water and onshore oil output has increased. What is called tight oil, which is extracted from dense rocks, has increased dramatically. Today, tight oil production is about a million barrels per day. By the end of this decade, it could be three million barrels today, uh, per day. And dear people, that is within the United States. Secondly, the same technology that has produced tight oil, hydraulic factoring and horizontal drilling, has also created the explosive growth in natural gas production from shale rock. So that oil extracted from dense rock and shale means lower imports, lower bills for those imports, and substantial job creation from within the United States. It's for that reason that North Dakota has now become the nation's fourth largest oil-producing state after Texas, Alaska, and California. Next. Persian Gulf oil represents today only 16% of our imported oil per year, and politically hostile Venezuela, 9%. Our greatest sources for imported oil are Canada, which is 25%, and Mexico, which is 11%. 
This is therefore the importance of the Keystone XL pipeline controversy, which is impacting the state of Nebraska in which I live. It seems to me if we do not permit this pipeline, that oil is going to go to China, and that's crystal clear. It is in our national interest to make this pipeline work. It makes no sense to permit Canada's oil to go to Asia when they want to sell it to the United States. Therefore, Jurgen concludes, quote, The shift in oil sources means that the global supply system will become more resilient, our energy supplies will become more secure, and the nation will have more flexibility in dealing with crises. It can also mean that economic benefits, jobs, manufacturing services, would register on the ground in North America. They will increase. Rising tensions with Iran and the volatile Middle East can be offset by the growing supply of oil and natural gas from within North America itself. Jergen's study, much of which I've just summarized, and the summary of the energy situation in the United States is one of the most encouraging developments for America in quite some time. May our political leaders understand this and not thwart what is one of the most liberating energy developments in recent history. And again, that Keystone Pipeline is an example of that. If we are serious about energy independence, this pipeline is one clear path toward that goal. Trying not to get involved in the controversy, just the basic facts of how important these kinds of developments really are. For decades, we've talked about energy independence. We are now on the cusp of achieving something very close to that. It is an amazing turnaround, and it's due to a lot of the new technology and the new developments that are leading to greater energy independence, more jobs, and greater security for this nation. That's a very positive development. Now, as we conclude this issue of Issues in Perspective, I need to make an announcement. As perhaps many of you know, I have announced my retirement as president of Grace University, effective June thirtieth, two 2012, less than six months from today. As a part of this transition from my full responsibilities as president and all that I've done for the last 15 years, I am going to make some changes, and one of those is ending the radio ministry Issues in Perspective. I will still maintain the site issuesinperspective.com, and it will become more like a blog where all that I write and all that's a part of the mission, mission of Issues will continue but at issuesinperspective.com. The radio ministry will end the last weekend of January, four weeks from today. So there are four more weeks on radio of Issues in Perspective after that date. Another way of saying it is beginning in the month of February, there will no longer be a radio ministry, Issues in Perspective. It will be at issuesinperspective.com and only at issuesinperspective.com. I want to thank you very much for the many, many years of ministry and the support that we've received over those years for the program Issues in Perspective. But as I transition to this next phase of my life, Issues and Perspective on the Radio will come to an end. 
Thank you very much, and may God continue to bless you. You've been listening to Issues in Perspective with Dr. Jim Ekman, President of Grace University. Issues in Perspective is a radio production of Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska. If you have any questions or comments, or you would like a written summary of today's program, write to Issues in Perspective, 1311 South 9th Street, Omaha, Nebraska, 68108. You can also view a transcript and listen online at issuesinperspective.com. Join us next week for Issues in Perspective with Dr. Jim Ekman. Issues in Perspective is a listener-supported program and ministry of Grace University. You can listen to this program as well as past programs on the web. Just log on to issuesinperspective.com and click on the Listen To button. You can also find the link to Dr. Ekman's website by logging on to this radio station's website and click on the Issues in Perspective banner ad. Issues in Perspective depends on listeners like you in order to broadcast on this station and other Christian radio stations across the country. Please send your tax-deductible donation to Issues in Perspective, P.O. Box 3251, Omaha, Nebraska, 68103. Your generous donation will help spread the Word of God and how it relates to culturally engaged Christians in today's world.